This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann. I'm at Otago Polytechnic today in an office that sounds a bit like an echo chamber, but it's the best we can do on today. And I am joined from Whakatani by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How's it going? It's going very well indeed. Today is a very special day. Why is that? Well, because remember when we didn't know if we'd get to 50... Well, today we are doing our 300th interview. That is a very special day indeed. Happy birthday to us. No, it's not happy birthday, is it? It's happy episode day. There isn't a word for it. (laughs) I've just decided. That's our third century of awesomeness. (laughs) (laughs) But it's not just us. Who are we joined by? Today we are, in, we are joined by the person who helped us start this off with our very first interview, Mr. Steve Henry. Welcome. Oh, kia ora. Kia ora. Thanks. Welcome, Steve. Where are you today, Steve? I'm standing on Paddy's Knob up above Nelson. There's the, there's the ocean. And it's named after a three-year-old kid who in the 1880s climbed up from the, from the beach, left the, a house down there. Well, I don't know if it was a house or a tent, actually. It was a tent. And got lost up here and spent the night in the bush and then got saved by the community the next day. Found the next day as a three-year-old having spent the night out rough in winter. <laughs> so it's a pretty neat little reserve actually. It's got plants and beautiful views. So yes, I thought I'd be outside for a chat. So how has your year been? Well, it's been quite significant. When did we talk on this thing? Was that a year ago? I oh, think we I talked. I mean, the, more than a year, a year and a half More than a year. Yeah. Okay, so how's my year and a half been? Oh, well, a lot's changed, hasn't it? Yet a lot hasn't changed. It's quite fascinating. I remember having a bit of a rant about tourism last time I was on, if you remember, and um, that's certainly changed, and uh, for the better, in my view. We've got a lot more localising happening. I like that. We, we, I live here in the top of the South Island, and, uh, you know, there are fewer camper vans and fewer um, millions of people floating around, so that's quite pleasant. Um, I, I did a bit of writing uh, parked up in Anchorage in the in the first lockdown in my boat, and I, I wrote that the closest thing I think um, non-Maori could understand colonisation to be is the insipid growth of tourism and how it just incrementally creeps up on you without, and suddenly you've got a massive problem. And, and I guess that's a form of colonisation, I was thinking. So, yeah, I've had cause for many reflections like that. There's been plenty of time for it, hasn't it? But I get busier in lockdown. I mean, lockdown and... Lockdowns and stuff are actually make my life busier because I, I have a job where I work um, supporting learners and they seem to have more time, so therefore they have more availability to um, spend time working on their stuff. Hmm. 
I think we talked to you on like the second day of the the big lockdown last year, and as Mawira said, I think we were thinking we would do the show for a couple of weeks, and we the pandemic has carried on, so we've carried on. Do you did you think then that we might be still still doing this a year and a half later? Not the show, but the pandemic. I think so. I mean, I, for for me, the pandemic is a is an illness from a wider issue than a purely a virus. I mean, I, and I actually don't think the pandemic is the biggest issue this country's got going on right now. So it's a kind of an interesting dilemma for me to um, talk about this without being controversial. Hmm. But I'll what, tell you what I think. Do you want me to do that? What is the bigger issue? Yes. Well, I, I'm of the view that we have issues such as affordable housing and gender and race bias, for example, which are kind of this undercurrent insipid they're not chronic illnesses but they are I mean they're more chronic illnesses rather than the acute one and the acute one is COVID and that's quite apparent so it become, that, that's the one that gets a whole lot of attention but for me these other issues uh, um, sit there as massive um, I mean the price of housing has gone up 25% in the last uh, 12 months in New Zealand it's, for me that's just insane and I'm really curious that there's no hesitation to challenge freedom and and look at that, but there is but there's a real yeah you know, and legally do that, but there's a real reluctance to um, cap the price of housing, for example, or you know or just or intervene actually. So there's this kind of mixed this mixed neoliberal leftover that I don't like, basically that uh, is still being worked through, and uh, I don't I don't like it. Hmm. We've been asking everybody on the show what lessons they think we can take from the pandemic response for the bigger sorts of questions that we face, things like climate change and homelessness and social inequity. And people have lots of really good suggestions. I mean, some of them are things like, well, when we were in lockdown, we didn't use as, as much energy. And that that's true. More people, I think, say the variations on, you know, we can do stuff if we, we set our minds to it. And then there's lots of sort of good suggestions about community and so on. And But I think the, the bigger question is, I think, what you were just raising, the, um, the, the fact that there's all this chronic stuff going on that we're ignoring. Hmm. And, 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 and it gets ignored conveniently because the acute stuff is in your face, so that gets the attention. I mean, you know, if we if we back off and look at our health system, which is, you know, really badly, health and education systems, which have barely, badly, really badly served marginalised peoples, and that, 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 you know, Maori Pacifica and neurodiverse, or anyone who's slightly different, it, it, it's a very difficult place to operate, and, uh, you know, the the really the amazing statistics about the low number of ICU beds in this country, which which is understandable because we 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 haven't well, it hasn't been a priority, right? But it, but it's it's just symptomatic of of those systems which are designed without customization. And I I'm of the view that housing has has been treated similarly. The assumption is that everybody will own own their own house or live in a box um, of this shape and size on this particular on a, in a single story um, in a in a in a nuclear family unit. Now, that, for me, that's quite an absurd set of assumptions. I mean, I live in a co-house, so a group of us have bought a big house and, you know, we have legal 
rights to occupy different spaces for privacy and we you know i mean and it has meant we could share the cost of a really expensive house rather than try and each own a really expensive house now what to me that's just a no-brainer and it's um but it's quite unusual i mean we, we kind of the newspaper writes stories about us and things like that you know because it's so unusual it's just like but it's complete sense to operate in in bigger groups than a nuclear family per house for me for me it is um yeah so yeah so the question about the chronic versus the 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 acute and education for me is that you know this is the as i watch i'm in a men's group that meets every week um up to 16 of us um around a fire in a dedicated teepee space with the sand floor and couches beautiful spot um, on a farm and we we meet there to deepen our lives together and the COVID, to vaccinate or not, has become a real hot topic of uh, how much do you impose your will on others? So we have been really exploring that 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 issue with the right. And there's some serious anti-vaxxers in, in my men's group and there's some serious uh, people who don't really care and there are others who are like, um, there's bigger issues at play. And um, so, yeah, it's a very curious thing. And I've watched people, it's a, for me, the sort of division I remember in the 1981 Springbok tour, I don't know if you remember it, um, any, either of you, but I, I remember that division very overtly. And uh, for me, that's what's occurring here right now around freedom. And um, But I think it's a glimpse into how it has been for those who've been colonised. I mean, that's, you know, I'm learning so much about that. And um, suddenly go, how can you design education and health systems that... <laughs> aren't inclusive because they wouldn't they, they are not inclusive that, that's the reality they are not fit for purpose and they are not inclusive so i would like to see them changed at the rate we're giving attention to changing vaccination rules or health rules or lockdown rules or whatever these things are that's that's my view hmm. what do you think it would take to actually make that happen well Charles Eisenstein, who I quite like his work, he, he, he's an author who's written about, he wrote a piece called The Coronation during um, the pandemic last year. And he, he said that humans have shown through this pandemic the ability to cooperate when they need to and collaborate and shift mindsets at a rapid rate. So I'm a big fan of, I, I think we need to move to a mindset of having leaps in learning rather than just incremental learning. And so this idea that you learn stuff incrementally, oh, well, I'll learn that and then I'll scaffold to the next piece and then that and then that. And I, I, I think educators have got to get over this idea of a curriculum being a fixed thing that you define and control in times like this. Actually, what? let's look at what success looks like and let's empower people to get on with it. <laughs> Stop controlling the whole show. <laughs> so, yeah, I, that's what I think, Sam. That's my, the fundamental thing that I spend most of my work on is... Um, supporting learners to to have autonomy over the decisions they make in their lives and their chosen practices so that's pretty different from how most educators view the world i realize let's take the first of steve's music choices in fact the only of steve's music choices we're not playing pink floyd what are we playing steve oh we're playing crowded houses um which was it Mawira? um i can just check on my phone Distance i'm sorry it was called um Distant Distant sun. Sun, yeah. I, I, re I really love that because it's, there's a line in here about um, carrying the scars, wise enough to carry the scars without flying. And I do think that's a really important uh, component of what needs to happen here, that a lot has happened in our past that has gone and has imprinted us, but how can we be wise enough to get over it and move on? So that's what that's about.
Steve, you were talking before the break about learning and about um, learning not being incremental. One of the things that has happened this year is you've made significant progress on your own doctorate. And That's it true. is in yes, that sort of space. Of it's about yes. transformation. Yeah, that's true. And um, it's very wonderful to realize I can't do this doctorate wrong because it's a doctorate <laughs> about my own professional practice. And that, that's incredibly liberating. So actually, if I can be me more, then uh, I will, um, I'm using this doctorate as a vehicle. I I'm not doing it because I want to um, have a 
flash degree. I'm actually doing it because I, I want to have a vehicle for my evolution. That's why I chose to do it. And one of the rules I set myself at the start of it was that I really wanted to enjoy it and I wasn't going to suffer. Like I noticed quite a few people suffer from overwriting and over stress and overread and God knows what and all the memes that float around of the trauma. And I'm like, right, I am not doing that. <laughs> so um, I have had a ball I'm, I'm, I, and I've slowed it right down. I, I was going to do it in three years and now I'm going, nah, that's too short. So I'm going to do it in probably five, I reckon, four or five. So yeah, I've got a couple of interest, really wonderful mentors who support me to be me and but also to get over me so I can look with eyes other than mine at uh, some wider issues, such as this idea of leaps in learning. What does that look like when we take transformational leaps in our perception and in our learning rather than incremental ones? So that's the essence of my my work. And I'm, I'm about to start some focus groups next week uh, with some alumni from Capable New Zealand who, who've done degrees based by, by, on reflection largely. And so these alumni, I've got a couple of focus groups together and, and we're going to be exploring the transformation they've experienced. Um, they've, they've identified as people who have had significant change as a result of these programs. So, yeah, I'm really excited to be having conversation with them about uh, what, what those patterns are and what's happened for them, the impact of that. Hmm. Yeah, so it's, it's a fun time. You've worked with a lot of learners over the, the last year. Is there a summary of how people have responded to this big disruption in their lives and their careers in terms of how they're thinking about their, how does they work, their, yeah. their practice? I, I, yeah, I think it's, 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 it's provided lubricant for flexibility, actually. It's taken a whole lot of rusty systems which are, like this, like this fence, right? But, you know these bolts here, and, and it's like, you know, normally they wouldn't move. But actually, what it's making people do is go. Actually, I had the assumption my career was going to do this, this, and that, and our business does this, this, and that. But actually, the game's changing, so I'm not convinced I can assume that now. Take tourism, or you know, some of these sectors that have been really hurt. Yeah, it's 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 really it's an a vehicle for significant inquiry. That's what's happening. It's really getting people to stop and go. Well. Is this what? What am I really doing here? Why am I really doing it? You know what I mean? Asking the question behind the, the often, the bigger questions, the bigger drivers of change. It's pretty easy. One I think I love to do with my learners when I sit down with them, go right. What are the five big drivers of change in your where you work? What's driving change? And get them to draw an arrow and a squeeze. And most people have a squeeze going on around resource or time or expectation or market some changes. So it's really it's a very common. That's a very common pattern, and the, and I think that suddenly the reason I'm interested when, when people do a review of learning to begin a great a degree, it honours where they've come from for starters, so their mana is enhanced and going look that's valid, all of it's valid, you can't do it wrong. That's a, a just a wonderful message to. So a lot of people turn up to uh, learning formal learning programs expecting to be examined and tested and lectured, and and suddenly if you turn up and go right, can you can you I know right you're 43, that's great. So you you haven't just come down on the last chair. So could you can you can you summarise what you've learnt and how you've learnt it and what's important to you? And and that that is just such a beautiful inquiry when it's done well, without um, I guess imposing a curriculum on someone, if you get what I mean, or imposing a, a a teacher or lecturer or facilitator's will on them in any way. It's like right, this is yours. You're driving this. You're leading it. What do you think is important? And you can't do it wrong. And it's an opening discussion point for us. So, 
Yeah, that's. I, I think diversity, that, that method, really honest diversity, and it meets the learner wherever their culture is at, whatever's important to them. So I think the, pan, the pandemic and such events have actually accelerated people's level of inquiry. Actually, why do I go to this job? Actually, really? <laughs> really? You know, and um, yeah, so that's cool. Yeah, I think it starts with a realisation that we're more productive at home in many cases. And, and then goes from there to be thinking, what am I doing? Yeah, that's right. And, and what am I really doing, actually? And uh, so I, I kind of, it's, it's a tricky business facilitating that such things because I, I constantly ask for consent. Is, is, do you mind if I ask a question? Can I ask a question here? And they go, no. <laughs> Depends what it is. Or, you know, uh, you know, do you like your could And so it's really important to, to constantly be inquiring about, well, what does success look like for you? Because I think success, our version, definitions of success change all the time. And, um, success for my brother is in Auckland right now is to get out of the house. <laughs> if he thinks, you know, he's locked down and uh, not a bit over it. In the last week, we've talked to three teachers, facilitators, I think they're referred to as, from the Liger Academy in Queenstown, which is very similar to the alternative schools that you were involved in in Christchurch. Right. Mm -hmm. Do you think that we're ever going to see like a a transformation of mainstream education to a a much more truly student-centred learning? Yeah, I think, you know, it'll either happen peacefully or it won't (laughs) because I think there's revolutionary change coming in some form. So if it doesn't, I mean, I just don't think people will tolerate I mean, you know, look at look at te- what what the the pressures of technology and expectation. I mean, I'm, here I am standing on a phone. You know, I expect to be outside right now in the trees, having a bit of a walk while I talk to you. Not, I don't expect to be sitting at, at a computer like I do for a lot of the day because I decided I wanted to be outside. Now, that level of autonomy and flexibility is what learners are increasingly seeking. I think so. I think it's a bit like if you'd ask the question of would Airbnb exist. Um, you know, 30 years ago, people couldn't conceive that the largest hotel chain in the world now owns no resi- no, no buildings, right? So what does edu- what's the education equivalent of Airbnb? What, you know, if, if the taxi company could not conceive of Uber to, you know, as a business model, so it, it's logical, let's not look to our education institutions to provide the next version of themselves. <laughs> it's very unusual that that's likely to happen. Um, so... Yeah, I, I think the, I mean, it's interesting, the no schooling and homeschooling movement has gained massively, uh, massive momentum through lockdown. I was talking to somebody um, a couple of days ago who said that, the, the, you know, the, the folks who are in those movements, they say the level of inquiry and interest is just going through the roof. Now, that doesn't surprise me because I think people are learning just as people are learning, they can get more work done at home. <laughs> you can do more learning at home, too, if you actually um, set it up correctly. And in fact, what is the point of school? So, you know, I, there's some great things about formal schools, but there's also some things that are pretty archaic, like turning up and being in a box, for example, is a pretty archaic concept to me. I think work-based learning is the future. The, the future of tertiary education is in work-based learning. The campus is the, is the, is the workplace, and the, and, and the learner determines that. And um, right now, my campus is out here, right, right now. 
you know what I mean? And I take my inspiration from there. And if anyone tries to tell me to learn in a different way to this, I just refuse and don't do it. So I think early, you know, the younger years, there seems to be more flexibility around primary schools than sec secondary schools. I think, you know, age, age sort of kids age 12 to 17 is the real, it's probably the last place that's going to change because of this link to managing teenage behaviour with control or perceived control. So I think... That, that's a really interesting one, and 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 the, watching the the shift there, you know, in Christchurch right now, there's a, an amazing school called Unlimited, which has got 500 students at it, where those learners meet with their parents, meet with the learning coordinator every six weeks, change their timetable, decide what they're doing, and identify their own own curriculum and their own learning program. I mean, it's a remarkable place, and it it came out of a an alternative school that I used to work at and had a, and, and you know, it was really, I, I worked there for three years in my, in my late 20s and I'm 59 as of yesterday. So I'm, I'm, I've been around for a while, you know, and I watch how that's changed and it's become for those families and that culture, you know, when the earthquake in Christchurch knocked buildings down and there was no question that school was going to get rebuilt. So it's, I think institutionalising such change takes time, but I think the platform of the web and the platform of uh, the pandemic is just showing us actually there's a whole lot of things that are easier to do when you have autonomy on your device for, for, for many people. I mean, I appreciate there is a digital divide and I appreciate there's, a, there's work to do there. But uh, yeah, I'm optimistic, Sam, highly optimistic about, about, such, uh, about the future of it. We have the vehicles we never had before. I mean, look at this. We're in three different places right now. This is being beamed to anyone who wants to listen anywhere. You know what I mean? I mean, that, that would have been inconceivable um, a short time ago. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mahi aroha nui, kia koutou, koutou ahau. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars in your beloved universes. And I really hope, wherever you are, whatever's happening around you, this journey we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding. Very sustaining and illuminating for you more each day who you are, a triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique, and here making things better. Thank you. Now, I know that for all of us, we've had a very trying time over the last more than a year, and we have been experiencing so many shifts and change this time. I know that for all of us, as we are learning and growing and co evolving with all life in an infinite web, at times we can have a sense of being lost, of losing our way, doing our best to navigate this new reality with its various constraints and restrictions and changes. But at times we can feel that it's too unfamiliar, it's too strange. And in times like this, it's so important to remember that as a species, we have done this many, many times. And we are here breathing, loving the world with our living toolkit, thanks to a long lineage of survivors and a long lineage of our ancestors, of course all life we are related to, but our many, many ancestors that have risen to the challenges that have presented themselves to them. And within us, we hold all of this knowledge, all of this co-evolution that has been taking place since the universe erupted into being, that's all within us. And it can be an interesting exercise to allow ourselves to see what new strategies work for us in this time. There are, of course, many ways that we can support ourselves and each other in this time. And by 
experimenting with different approaches it can be wonderfully satisfying and rewarding to see what works. I know for me, really those most familiar and basic aspects of my life that I can draw upon for a sense of stability and sustenance are so precious to me this time. Making food that I know will nourish my body, having time in my, my garden and in the war mansion, making that space inviting and beautiful. Having time with friends, sharing our experiences is so valuable, whether that's in person, using all the wonderful technology that is available to us. And of course, when we are able to meet, it's just such a gift. Beautiful Leslie, wife of Amazing Sam and I, were able to meet at our favourite cafe. And even though we had to wear masks and we had to do things differently, just having that time together in person was so nurturing and sustaining for so I really hope for you at this time you're able to try some different approaches whether it's making sure you have enough sleep making sure you get out and have an adventure moving your wonderful body doing things that help uplift you finding the beauty that's around taking time to draw write create listening to beautiful music that inspires you or whether it's very simply allowing yourself to take a step back and to observe the situation and how you are responding, to recognize how well you're doing, to feel proud, to look at all the shifts and changes that have taken place and how well you're taking them in your stride. Acknowledge all the hard work that you're doing. Acknowledge those connections that surround you, that you're maintaining and growing and giving yourself the opportunity to feel all that you are, all the skills you possess, all the knowledge you hold, whether consciously or unconsciously. The great contributions that you're making. I know for me being able to be out and about again is so wonderful and for everyone around the world who's contributing to the shared experience thank you all I'm so grateful that we can be here together and these five minutes with you mean so much to me so thank you to Sam and the whole Blowing Bubbles team for thank you all I look forward to talking to you again soon. Ka kite. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. That was Tahu McKenzie for the 300th time. We're talking with Steve Henry. Steve, there's a question I've been asking everybody, I don't know, the last 50 or so episodes, because I don't know what brought it on, but it's just a thing that's in my mind a lot, and that is this wall that exists between our children and their future. And I, I see this wall as this, massive structure and and there's a brick called climate change and a brick called the future of work and a brick called inequity and a brick called methamphetamine and COVID and like there's just these massive bricks and these bricks get placed in front of our kids every day of their lives and and I see I see them standing at this wall wondering how do they get beyond it what do we do to help them get beyond it dissolve the mortar how do we do that? Well, I think it's happening. I mean, I, I think the uh, the inevitable rise of digital currencies is going to change the banking system and the financial the way finance is done. I think education will change because of technology, as I as I just spoke about. That with with respect to um, the expectation of formal and informal learning merging. So, um, and, and that that's that's a really significant thing. I think. Um, 
what doesn't kill you does make you stronger. So I, I do have a bit of confidence in young people's ability to navigate bricks, which fixed mindsets of the older generation um, have failed. I mean, the education system has failed to produce sustainable education, which meant that we took care of people, planet and profit at the same time. And, and so um, there needs to be new systems and walls need to be smashed actually that sometimes and and you know the metaphor of the berlin wall is incredibly powerful that people will knock that down when the time is right and you go to any revolution i look at the french revolution when in 1700s when ten thousand peasants <laughs> descended upon paris and uh decided enough thank you the elite will no longer control my life and i do think we have more technology now and more enabling which is shifting the ground and and in, in Aotearoa, we're incredibly lucky with our indigenous um, Maori culture to offer a beacon to how to relate to this land and how to relate in, in, a, in a holistic way that is the envy of the world, really. Um, and, and for me, that's going to be a, it's a huge vehicle for change and a huge, of, of perception and mindset. I'm just watching it happen before my eyes. I mean, it's, it's just uh, amazing to watch the awareness grow, the tolerance grow, the recognition of a problem grow so each of these bricks was built by sand and put into a furnace and fired and i and i believe an equally uh a crucible like process can um unfire them or have alchemy happen actually and and when you have that alchemy that the mortar that holds the bricks together which is fought, which has been built on a on a set of assumptions about this country about what what is right and proper and uh, how you in those traditions a lot of them are being shown up, and I, I think you cannot, you can no longer assume things about race, gender, or carbon, for example, <laughs> like the right to behave the way you have around those dimensions. You, you cannot, you know, because you, you know, the game is shifting, and and rightly so. That there is some, there's been some poor practice. Good question. I look at the, I look at the kids though, and I, I speak to them, you know, because I, I do a lot of work with young people at the moment in the driver's license. So, and there's a lot of just sort of sitting around when they're sick of learning about driver license theory, we talk about the things that are bothering them, which is way more interesting than driver license theory, I have to say. And for them, it seems to be, particularly around here, there is this real sense of, um, I know that I want to make change happen, I just don't know how to do it. Or I want to make change happen, but people are stopping me from doing it. And if, if our kids are going to lead this change, do you think that we're going to, do we need to give them the mandate to do it? Or do you think we just have to stop our peers from stopping them? How do we do yeah. that? How do we give them permission to make the change? Well, we build the environment where it's acceptable to learn from any perspective. <laughs> For me, that's what good learning systems do. They honour people where they're at and, they, and inquiry is the number one pedagogy or way of doing it that the inquiry is god if you like you know that it's the not the seeking of truth but the seeking of reality and what it means and how to move it so how do we do that um i, I it's just quite simple that the the old systems are going to become obsolete and the people who care about them the most are going to die so it's inevitable um for me i i just i absolutely believe it's inevitable and um that's why I started this program talking about housing. I, 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 I do believe for our, for our young people, if they have a home and a place that they belong and they know where they stand strong, then um, anything's possible. But unless, if you have that disrupted all the time, 
then I believe that is one of the worst things we can do for young and, and for any people is to undermine them and their sense of place and uh, where they belong. So, yeah. I'm really excited about. It. I don't know if you've been into a primary school lately, but I, whenever I go into them, they're fantastic places. They're li alive and inclusive, and they're—I don't know. There's just great things happening in them. When you, you go into secondary schools, there's some fantastic ones, also, but not as many, possibly. You know, so so this, as soon as we get into this idea of subjects and knowledge being about a particular thing, I, I think we lose the plot. That's kind of my thought on that. Hmm. Do you think we're heading back to a business? As usual, I mean, I know that we've talked about it. We're not wanting to go back to business as usual, but do you think we've got a, a choice in that? And if we're going back to, or if we're going to something else, a disruption as usual, perhaps, how do we maintain a positive spin? Not a positive spin, a positive mindset on that. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's a great, it's a great question, and I, I think about the Buddhist monks who were tortured. Who would thank their torturers? <laughs> you know, um, it is suffering is a is a very interesting thing, and I, I I think how we deal with positivity, you know, how to learn to getting away. I mean, psychology. You know, a hundred years of psychology has focused on what's wrong and trying to fix what's wrong. You know, I've just done an allow an analysis of the psychological research as a part of my doctorate, and one paper in seventeen considers positive aspects of mind and and well-being compared to 16 that are published with what's wrong, okay? So therein lies a serious challenge to me. To, to and, and the rise of positive psychology is to say, actually, mindset matters and how you view something. If I came into this interview with you thinking, you know, begrudging it and not wanting to be here and all that sort of stuff, then you, you know, don't you? So a lot of these things cannot be reduced down to and this idea that we can solve every problem by reducing it to to a problem which we then fix is a is a dated concept to me, and I think the the idea of uh, being increasingly holistic is actually you know Dwight Eisenhower said beautifully after at the end of World War Two if you've got a problem to solve you need to you need to make the problem bigger, and actually our problem has been addicted to reductionism and technology to solve individual bits rather than looking at the whole that that's that's kind of the way I see it Sam so I think showing people whole systems so that they understand that when you make a, a purchase choice that it, it doesn't stop after you've purchased it because there's a whole lot of downstream effects of what you choose and yeah it's that stuff and it's not it's not about scaring people with that, that stuff it's about inspiring them with it that's that's kind of what i think like the guy who just forget his name but the the guy who um just designing all these bottles that are that are compostable plastic bottles that are compostable and has set up a massive business around that and uh, all because one teacher of his at one moment said you can design anything or, or we've got a lot of bad design all we have to do is redesign it and and he thought about that with respect to all these plastic bottles and just went out and has done it <laughs> so let's not underestimate the ability of uh of people to solve complexity. I think it can happen. Mm. One of the things that's happened in the pandemic is that while there's been a kind of a, an undercurrent of fear, the primary messaging has been of kindness and well-being. Mm. How do we reinforce that? How, how do we change the conversation so that nurturing, thriving those sorts mm. of words are the, the things that we go to first? Well, I do think that 
as we move to make gender, gen, we, we have more gender equity and we have more race equity and we have more, um, you know, age, age equity because, you know, for me, young people are discriminated against. Their voice and values are not as considered as um, others. So if we can, if we can, as we begin to see the value of diversity, because this is about diversity and inclusion at the end of the day, and and I so I so I believe that learning around diversity and inclusion is a very powerful way. So I've had the privilege of facilitating some workshops recently around diversity and inclusion, with generally audiences who are very cautious and unable to include and um, you know don't know how to do that. So these are organisations that have realised they've they've actually got to sort themselves out before they have a much bigger problem. And it's really encouraging the conversations that are happening when we're really honest about it. People genuinely do not have the capability to know how to to get over that primal fear of what's different. <laughs> so you have to move it from fear to curiosity, right? I, I mean that's that's for me that's the that's the leap in learning that needs to occur, the perception shift. So I get really excited about that actually and it's uh, it's a cool thing when you watch it happen let's take the second of the music choices this one is Mawera's Grateful Dead Ripple why this Mawera um it's just an extraordinary song really if you listen to the words it's about the journeying through life and about leading and loving and caring and you know listening um you know we're just talking before about uh, negativity and psychology and I'm thinking of Carl Rogers and Unconditional Positive Regard and that song is kind of like Unconditional Positive Regard in Action. I love it. Found 
time That was not made By the hands of men There is a road No simple highway Between the dawn And the dark of night And if you go I have some questions to end the show with. We've asked them before. I can't remember what they, what you said, but they are recorded, so we shall go and check later. What's the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Dropping my expectations, my expectations on my children. Mm-hmm. Dumping my, you know, a, a, as in my own expectations of what they they will do or how they will do it, just allowing them to be themselves and express it their way. Ari? We've asked it 300 times before, so I don't want to change it, but I do like your question of what does success look like for you? What does it look like for you? Oh, what does it look like for me? It's a, it's a, it's waking, it's waking up in the morning amplified, engaged and excited with the possibility of another day. It's um, sharing with, with people. I mean, I live in a communal house where every evening there's a gathering for a meal. Um, I cook one night in six, um, and I have exquisite meals every night of the week. Um, so knowing that's there, um, having choice, um, having very satisfying uh, work and meaningful work, I guess. Meaningful is, is an important thing. So having the ability to do to to make sense to do sense making is a really important part of success for me it's way more important than financial success uh making sense of things is is where it's at um yeah that'll about do so what's your superpower i'm an activator of change i'm a um yeah like a lightning bolt is the metaphor i sometimes use put me in a situation and before you know it something's happened (laughs) um yeah 
but in a in a not in a big bolt way anymore actually it used to be the big crash and bang sort of lightning but now it's just i don't know it's almost like it's a different way of uh, coming in and creating the environment for lightning to occur actually rather than me being the center of it so i do a lot of facilitating from the back now do you consider yourself to be an activist absolutely i'm such an activist that I support other activists. And so it's more important <laughs> that I support them to develop their activist capability. And, I, and my work is largely invisible. <clears throat> so yes, I'm a, I'm a super activist. I, I got burnt being a traditional activist when I was making molds of hectares dolphins and walking around in set nets and protesting against this and that. I realized that saying what was wrong wasn't what I wanted to do. It wasn't working. I wanted to present what was right or what was possible so I'm, I'm i guess i'm an advocate for what is possible so that's a form of radical activism and also you know i have an i have an un, unconditional belief that everything's perfectly okay now that may be quite difficult for folks to hear who are in a difficult position but you know for me that's i've had quite a lot of uh challenge in my life with the early death of parents and uh that sort of thing and it's 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 activated me to be different to what I would have been without those adverse events. So I'm a big fan of um, of sorting out my inner world before I can um, express it into the outer world. So I spend a lot more time in, in, on my own in meditation and in, in mindful sort of practices than I used to. Hmm. And I say less. You're doing very well today, though. What motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Oh, the thought of you never know where your influence stops when you're involved in education, that any moment could be the moment that shifts some trajectory somewhere. One phrase, one, one encounter. Hmm. And what challenge or opportunity are you looking forward to in the next year or so? Oh, I think um, mainstreaming the work I do around, you know, learning controlled curriculum for degrees I'm really interested in amplifying that further and having that becoming sort of business as usual and then being able to look to how that can then move outside the care of an institution and into a much more sort of informal context so that's the next move for me how these leaps in learning that I'm talking about um, can be achieved in many ways without you know the best learning is where you look back on it right this is what i think it's kind of happened you're in it you're so in it you're not thinking oh look at me i'm learning to um, do this right now the best learning happens when you're in an experience so deeply you're hanging on for dear life and, and trying to cope and then the learning that comes out later as well look look what look at what happened and how that um dilemma how i navigated that dilemma and um that's when it gets really interesting I think so I'm, I'm interested in designing for those dilemmas we have plenty of them COVID's a dilemma do we do we insist everyone's vaccinated do we you know how, yeah, these are all dilemmas and there's a, there's a plenty of them hmm. and lastly do you have any advice for our listeners none <laughs> find your own <laughs> yeah I mean the, the advice is actually already in you it's just a case of silencing all the critics which are also in you and allowing your, the, 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 your true nature to come forth. So my view is that that voice of knowing is inside everybody deeply um, and unconditionally and what it's been overlaid and sort of a colonization of the mind really by a whole lot of other voices which um, need to be acknowledged and seen and then kicked for touch. Thank you for that.
Mawira. Steve, it is always a joy to speak to you. You are one of the most positive, thoughtful, kind people I've ever met in my whole life, actually. Your optimism oh. and your genuine love of people and helping people to be their best selves is so contagious and it's just I think there's no better way to celebrate 300 episodes um, than to celebrate with one of the most positive people I've ever met so thank you very much for joining us today we really appreciate you thanks for oh, sharing the beginning and this next stage in our journey absolutely and look here's some flowers for you <laughs> but look, so lo beautiful. Lo lo lovely, to, lovely to be here with you from my executive office, <laughs> i.e. the car. Um, yeah, and then congratulations on 300 shows, you guys. Come on. Thank you. Thank you. You've arrived on a rather special night. It's one of the master's affairs. Oh, lucky him. You're lucky. He's lucky. I'm lucky. We're all lucky. <laughs> astounding time is fleeting madness takes its toll but listen closely not for very much longer I've got to keep control to jump to the left. And then step to the right. With your hands on your hip. Conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We are broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from the incomparable Tahu McKenzie. I'm Samuel Mann at Otago Polytechnic in Dunedin with Moira Karatai in Fakatani. And in a forest somewhere near Nelson, we've been joined by Steve Henry. For the 300th time, that was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. It's just a jump to the left. Let me 
your hip. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.